How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChawFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChawFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your chocolate order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And once again, we are uh, bringing to you two amazing guests, uh, Keith Cook, uh, Keith Hirabayashi. He's been on the show. This will be his third time. And once again, the incredible Ken Scott, who recently was just on here. Uh, I wanted to put together this kind of cool idea of merging the pop culture, the world of Mortal Kombat, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I couldn't think of two better uh, people, uh, not only incredible martial artists, stuntmen, actors, uh, but really down-to-earth, solid uh, people. And so Keith and uh, Scott and uh, Ken, it's great to have you on here. Thanks, great to be here. Sorry for Keith. And so, yeah, so like I told you guys before I started recording, I got these messages from people said, man, you're going to have Keith on more because he tells all these stories about uh, fight choreography and fighting and the kickboxers and all these stories and all these tournaments and the wushu. And then when I launched the episode with Ken, I got the same thing. It's like, oh, my God, I had no idea this guy was in Showdown. I had no idea this guy did all the stuff with the Ninja Turtles, his new book. And so I figured, you know what, for the month of December, I always put together uh, two previous guests for the last year. And I figured, why not merge together both these pop culture, Mortal Kombat, and Digital Turtles? So again, thank you guys for being here. Fantastic idea. <laughs> and so I kind of want to start with this. Obviously, the last couple of years, we know it's been crazy with the, the pandemic and everything, but conventions are starting to get back together. Um, and it's cool seeing people on social media share their feelings and their pictures with some of these stars like yourselves. And if we kind of lead off with, when you guys, especially, uh, I guess I'll start with you, Ken, as you get back into these things full swing, how cool is it to see these fans that have been maybe dealing with mental health or different issues the last year or so have been missing taking pictures and actually just getting to spend five minutes with you? Man, that's, it's a big question. There's a lot of stuff there. I'll try to encapsulate it. Because one of the things that I find the most beautiful about going to Comic-Cons is experiencing people who are living their best life. They're living their dream. You can watch, you know, a 45-year-old out-of-shape guy in a skin-tight Spider-Man outfit with a shopping bag full of stuff living his dream, walking through this place. And they're loving it. They're amongst people that accept what they want to do and they allow them to express themselves from the inside out. I love that at cons so much. And you see it across the spectrum of humanity. You know, you see somebody who never gets out, who might be dealing with somewhere on the autism spectrum or thing. I mean, there's a lot of that. And then you're dealing with, you know, military guys and cops and this whole other side of, of things. And in between there, you get all these people who are coming to you and they're able to express their love or they try to express their love to you about what you've done and what it's meant to them. And to see that come out, I've had people break down in tears and just want hugs and things that I don't feel worthy of, but it's amazing you experience. And then when you're able to sort of give all that back and relate for, on that level with them, it's a beautiful connective experience. And it's great to be part of that. So now as the pandemic comes to an end, 
especially early in April when people started to just rush out of the gates before everybody kind of comes back in. Man, it was great. The cons were flooded. The gates were doing more than people thought they ever would. People just couldn't wait to get out and get back in costumes. And it was like a breath of fresh air. So hopefully that'll continue as much as possible. And that gives everybody the chance to blossom from the promoters who are trying to throw the cons to the people who want to come there and meet, you know, their quote unquote heroes and have that opportunity. And then what it means for those people who get to be met like that. And, really I, and I love that. And I know, Keith, as you kind of get ready to start doing some of these yourselves, um, you've been able to play Sub-Zero in Mortal Kombat 2, Reptile in Mortal Kombat. So you played these characters that people grew up with, uh, impacted their lives from kids. Now they have kids that are impacted by your roles and your, your stuff you've done. Is it something where you're kind of anxious to kind of see that, realize it? Obviously, you know you have your fans and your supporters, but when you finally get out there to see some kid who's not is autistic or an adult that was an addict that you saved their life, whatever reason they started following your movies or whatever, how impactful for you is that when you get out there? I think it's, you know, like, it, it's, uh, it's an honor, actually. And, and I was... Uh, I was surprised, you know, and shocked that I would even have such an opportunity to do these things and uh, met a lot of interesting people. Like, let's start with Carrie, you know, with her two kids. And I'll give you an example of something that happened was, you know, we were talking, we actually did a one of those uh, Q&A sessions together and we were getting to know each other. And she's really on top of the whole, her whole social media thing. She, she, she is an expert, you know, and I was like, well, I have to learn some of these things from you because I know absolutely nothing, you know, and I go, I am a, um, a social media retard. And she goes, oh my God, don't use that word. And I had, I had no idea that she had the two right. needs sons, you know, because, you know, I don't go around calling other people retards, but I do call myself a retard from, right. you know, now and again, and now I'm going to, from now on, I'm going to catch myself because of that, that one incident, but I met a lot of, I met a family where they named all their kids after Mortal Kombat characters, you know? Wow. Yeah. And, you know, can you sign this to Raiden please? You know? And I was like, Oh my God, is that really your name? <laughs> and this is <laughs> Sub-Zero over here, <laughs> but uh, you know, I met some, met some really interesting people and um you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, I've had, um, you know, like, uh, a, a mom, you know, come up and want to take her picture with me. We said she grew up on Mortal Kombat and, and she's taking a picture with me and she's shaking, you know? And I was like, wow, man, this is, you know, you don't know what it means to people, you know, you sort of, you, know, you forget and you take it for granted, you know, and nobody ever cared in my, you know, like my martial arts studio, nobody ever cared if I played Sub-Zero or anything, you know, but there's a lot of people out there that really do, you know, and so. And it is fascinating that the, the legacy that you both are part of where, I think World Combat came out in 94, 95, that the first game, whatever, neutrals before that, and you're kind of just like, to withstand the test of time, you are part of the lore of these characters, whether it's cartoon, video game, movie, but to see that the, 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 the actual brands themselves, there's still new movies coming, there's new comic books, new TV shows, new merch, and for you guys to be steeped, so steeped into that, it has to be really cool that 
10, 20 years from now, you're still going to be Raphael from Secret of the Youth. You're still going to be Reptile. So again, it, it's just, it is really cool to have you both here and that you guys have the impact you do on people's lives. It, it is really cool. Keith, have, have you met people that have tattoos of your character? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. There was a guy who showed up with a reptile tattoo on his leg. So, yeah. I, I don't know. This. Were you ever like, hey, who is oh. that? You're like, it's you. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And I know uh, as we kind of move in, we get the conventions, all that going. I want to step back, though, because in our pre-emails each other, what my idea of bringing you both together, I know, Ken, you talked about watching uh, people like Keith on the martial arts, the tour, tournament circuit uh, back in the day. And uh, for me, I grew up in the, I was born in 85 and through the 90s, I always, when I went to the grocery store with my parents, I always go to the magazine aisle and I'd pick up the new Black Belt magazine. And for me, that was my, that was my way to be like, man, these are real life superheroes. These are real life people. And as I, as I get older now, here I am, 36, I go by the magazine section. There's no magazines there about the martial arts. There's no anything like this. And then the only time I can really get my fix is if I go search for it or follow these actual martial artists themselves. And so could you kind of elaborate, Ken, as a fan of someone like Keith, how do you deal with – how could we – how could someone like you and I find the next Keith Cook who's doing the same tournaments or is a really good at wushu? How do we find these people, Ken? Man, I'll tell you what, that's a very good question. I, you know, I grew up going by the newsstand and I get Karate Illustrated, Black Belt, and Inside Kung Fu. And those are the three that I got. And then once I moved to Los Angeles, man, you could find these obscure, like the Tai Chi quarterly publication, these weird things. But yeah, I used to take those and that's how I got to know Keith and George Chung and the West Coast demo team and Cynthia Rothrock when she was doing all her stuff. And just on and on, like even some out of Texas. I live in Texas now. So I remember Steve Nasty Anderson, and Linda oh, Denley. And these are the names that were kind of floating around. Um, today, you know, there's not a lot of magazines at all left anymore because of the internet. There's so much stuff that's accessible to you. The only, and I don't really have the answer to your question, John, the only, but recently I enrolled in a karate school for the first time in a long time. So I could learn some new things and all this. And it just so happens that I'm there. They're, they're, they said, oh, we're going to be closed next week. We're going to a tournament. And I thought, oh, my God, I haven't been to a karate tournament in decades. I mean, decades it's been. And so I was like, oh, I can't wait. Well, it turned out I went to a con in Alabama that weekend, so I didn't get to go. But I was like, oh, what an interesting doorway that's opened up for me to now go so many years later, walk into a gymnasium and see what's happening and see what's going on. Outside of peeking my head through that door, which is only, you can only see so far, I don't know where to find the next person other than TikTok and YouTube. And how do we, so how do we find these people, Keith? And like, obviously, for the moment you had your last tournament, has there been, like, when you stopped doing it, were you still following the tournament circuit themselves? Were you still following the athletes? Like, how did you kind of deal with you not actually physically being part of this stuff? but were you able to actually kind of just still watch and be a presence at these? Uh, I, I really lost uh, contact with that for a long time. And then when the COVID thing, someone, cause I was on a couple of teams, professional teams that were sponsored and first by Budweiser. And Perfect. Uh, that, that was, that was 
with Budweiser National Karate Team and, and Billy Blanks was on there. Nasty Anderson was on there. Linda Denley was on there. Yeah. And then that that's pretty much that same group of people got moved to a new sponsor uh, because uh, uh, um, I don't know why Budweiser didn't want to do it anymore or if this other company offered us a better deal, but it was, it was called the Atlantic world karate team. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me, you know? And, uh, but my point is that I've stayed in contact with some of my teammates and some of them are still very active in that and had continued competing. Like Steve Nasty Anderson passed away recently. And, and so did, I don't know if you uh, know who Kevin Thompson was. They used to call him little K. He's just an awesome martial artist. He's one of my favorite martial artists of all time. And man, he could box. I mean, he could just do it all, you know? And he was one of my teammates. I got to, I got to work out with this guy. Um, uh, he unfortunately passed away also from uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, my coach, I just found out, just passed away. You know, I just found out today, so. Chuck oh. Merriman, who gave oh. me so many opportunities and, um, and, but, uh, you know, how would I do it? I would probably try to find some of the people who are competing right now and find out how they, you know, um, I'm still in contact with Chris Cosmosis who played, uh, Scorpion and, um, he's very active and runs a lot of tournaments. He runs a big one out here that sometimes I take students to. And so I've seen some of what, uh, is going on just when I take my students because we don't really travel far anymore, but we did go to the, um, I forget what the name of the tournament is, but it's a big national tournament that takes place in, in Los Angeles. And then I, I like going to Chris's smaller tournaments that he puts on too, taking students there. But I was sort of tournamented out for a while. I went to so many tournaments, man. I used to go to a tournament every other weekend. So for years, you know. Yeah, interesting. And so when these, obviously, Keith, you're a teacher, you're instructor, um, and Ken, obviously, you're getting back into it. But is there is the the way they recruit kids or adults or whoever to be to start learning the martial arts? Um, what's the biggest issue they've come across in gyms where it's getting people to stay committed, or is this one of those things where people just treat martial arts as a Oh, I'm going to drop you off. Go hang with Keith for an hour. I'll pick you up. I'm working or something like that. Because for me, I think there's so much more to it. Like take out the actual physicality of it. What you learn from with your mental strength and all that can change your life and save a life. And, but do you think the way that these schools or people are marketing the martial arts is maybe a hindrance to actually filling their classrooms up with people? Uh, you want me to take that? Yeah. Um, you, Keith. you know, um, I, I found, you know, that there's some parents out there that they're just looking for their kid to get that, um, that black belt on their resume. You know, they don't really, you know, and, and a lot of kids, and because, you know, kind of, you know, it was fortunate and unfortunate that, that my studio was in a very wealthy neighborhood, that, that most of these kids would go away for college. And so I'd have them up until they graduated from high school. And then some of them might never see them again. Some of them would come back and visit. Some of them would move back to LA later, you know, and start training again. But I always felt like I had to realize that that's, that's where, 
where it was going to stop. But my hope is, and I think you kind of touched on this, that what we're doing there, you know, because, you know, the self-defense part, the fighting part is, I think, important because it's, I think, if you're going to learn martial arts, yeah, that's, that's a really important part of it because uh, I think it builds character, you know, like, you know, taking a few punches in the face, you know, getting gutted a few times, you know, and having to, to get back up, you know, it's, it builds character, you know, and I, I want, I want my kids, if anything else, to get at least a little bit tougher, you know, through their experience. And so I always made everybody spar, you know, and, and, in fact, you know, give them tools so they can really do it and feel confident about it. You know, like the way that you give them drills, you drill them hard, you know, on offensive and defensive drills. You know, a lot of places don't probably don't teach enough defense, you know, so right. to where people feel really comfortable when they're under fire and stuff like that. But um, I found that the traffic is getting worse and worse in LA and parents were less willing to bring their kids as often as we, you know, we were open there for 27 years and the schools, there were a lot of private schools around there that were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the traffic was just getting worse right at the time when we needed to do business. Um, but I do think that uh, back to what you were touching on, I think, I think if anything, if, you know, people learn one of my favorite things to say is you know uh, uh don't use tired as an excuse because how often in life are we going to be tired and that can't be an excuse for poor performance you know how often are you tired and you have to do a podcast you know right. and and you you want to do it with a great show up with a great attitude and stuff and i've had to learn you know to 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 do that and if a kid can learn that through training in martial arts you know I always say it's a great way to wake up, you know, a great way to wake up, come to class. I'm so tired. You were at school all day. Maybe you already had PE or played a sport and now you're here. And so I think it's a, a great opportunity to learn how not to quit when things get tough, you know, and that's that self-discipline thing, you know, and uh, that's the thing that we really try to drive home and kids get it, you know, because how often are you going to fight someone, you know? Right. But how often do you need self-discipline? Every day. Oh, yeah. You're going to fight day. yourself more than you will a crowd of people. Exactly. So, Ken, one of the, the things after your episode layered, everyone was blown away by the idea that, man, four people have to play internal, the puppeteer, the voice, whoever, then you are in the middle. So one of the big questions we had is, in The Secret of the Ooze, the last battle scene, you got Super Shredder, you got Splinter, you got Bebop, Rocksteady, all this stuff going on, this mayhem, foot soldiers. How tough is it? And what is the process between you as a performer and working with someone like, say, Pat Johnson, putting a fight scene of that scale together and specifically in a costume as opposed to, say, maybe Keith, who could do it outside of a costume? Uh, well, uh, you know, the process was not unsimilar to whatever you know Keith was doing it's all it all works out the same it's a very creative process it's really where the martial arts gets a chance to be artistic in its own sort of gymnastic appeal kind of way uh, what would happen ordinarily is you know on, specifically on Ninja Turtles we'll go through that is they have a complete storyboard of the film going in and so Pat Johnson the stunt coordinator fight choreographer he uh, actually was the fight choreographer he had his uh, storyboard out there 
And basically he looked at it and he said, okay, how can we create each one of these frames and what action brings us to whatever it is that we're gonna do? Um, and then basically he would say, okay, what is it that you guys wanna do? What can you do? What do you see? He, would, he wouldn't just come in and say, I want you to do this, 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 and this, like here's the dance. He would ask each performer, hey, what do you think? What can you do? What's a good move? What do you feel comfortable? What's your best thing? And once everybody started to kind of give stuff in, then like a master puzzle, you know, assemblist or an alchemist, he would start to put the pieces together. And sometimes there would already be ideas based on certain effects that needed to happen or wire work gags that they knew they were going to do. That was kind of determined how we would get into it. But otherwise, the entire interstitial nature of the combat that flowed in between those sort of moments happened very or, or artistically and very collaboratively, but ultimately you bowed down to whatever the choreographer said, okay, we're gonna do this, this, this. No, no, I do this great jump spinning hook kick. No, you'll do that later. Right now, I need you to go do this. So just through that collaborative process, as we went through it, Pat Johnson specifically had an assistant, Barbara Goldstone, and she had a big yellow legal pad and a pen. And as we went through stuff, Pat would go, write that down. And he would say, okay, it's a punch to the left and this and then a duck and then Bob does this. And so ultimately the whole thing would kind of get written out in shorthand. And then as the next few days and weeks went by up to shooting time, we would just revisit that and every day do it like a kata until it got better and better and better until the time we got to go before the camera. And sometimes it was instantaneous. We didn't have times that we could warm it up. Oftentimes we have to do it on the, on the fly. But things like that, with the big scene with Super Shredder, had time to plan it out, work it out, and then get it right. Now, for you, Keith, one of my favorite movies is King of the Kickboxers. And I know you've talked about this before on the podcast. Uh, but the, the scene where you kind of get introduced, you kind of, uh, the drunken monk character, and you have, you, you talked about Corey Yoon coming on set and directing this really iconic martial arts uh, scene in a movie. But for something like that, how how does he know who his performance are going to be or is he so good that he could be like you know what if it's not keith doing wushu it's lauren doing this hapkido it's ken doing tang su do like how good of a someone like Corey could take someone was it you to put him in that scene like how it blows my mind that obviously you're the ideal for that role but for, for a, a someone like Corey to use a martial art to fit the scene is it tough unless he knows the performer like you um, <clears throat> I don't think he knew me, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if he saw anything that I'd done previously. Really, the only thing I'd done previously was China O'Brien at that time. And so right. he may have seen that because, you know, there were other, you know, it was, it was a golden harvest of Hong Kong production. Someone may have, he may have been able to see that, but, um, other than that, they might've told him about me and what they wanted. Like they didn't want me to punch. They wanted me to kick, you know, and uh, but he, you know, I think he want like I, I think just you know wanted me to feel comfortable, you know, and so he asked me, "Hey, I'm going to have these guys. These guys are going to come at you here. What would you do?" And I said, "Well, um, I would do this," and he would say, "Oh, that'd be great, yeah," and you know, he he said, and then these guys are going to come from over here. What are you going to do? And then he started, he starts thinking about how he's going to put the cameras in order to capture that. And in fact, you know, and then he asked me, could I, can you hold your foot out like this? 
and then bring it around this way like Bruce Lee did in Enter the Dragon. I was like, yeah, I think I can do that because I've tried it so many times. <laughs> trying to act like Bruce Lee. Um, and, and so he, you know, he had me bring my foot around and he had put the camera on uh, tracks and had the camera move around me and arc the other way. You know, it was just, it was just, I, I loved that experience because we, we shot it in, in like, I want to say choreographed it, shot it, everything in about five hours, maybe something like that. You know, it, was, it wasn't a, a big deal, you know. Um, it's a pretty big fight though to, to be able to do that like that. And then th there you have somebody who knows what they want and knows how to get it, you know, get it done, you know. And I think he's, he is a craftsman, you know. And uh, I'm very lucky to have been able to experience that with him. And the set got so quiet and it started operating because they have a, you know, they have a the regular director who directs the acting, the drama director. That's what they do in Hong Kong. And then they have an action director. And he was like the action director. But the way that you could tell the respect that he had already earned at that time, because all of a sudden everybody was like, you know, like soldiers, you know, and it was, it was, it was amazing to see that. You know, Keith, you know, Keith, what I was amazed by on the first movie in Ninja Turtles, um, when I was doing stunt work for Raphael, we were working with a lot of guys from Hong Kong that Golden mm -hmm. Harvest had brought over. Right. Uh, there were three or four guys that were doing the turtle work, the, the stunt right. work. Uh, that was my first opportunity. I was fresh out of college. So it was the first time I'd ever worked with anybody like that. And the first time as a martial artist, I was really encountering, I mean, guys that were hardcore Hong Kong movie level stuff. Right. I was fascinated and amazed at how quickly they could choreograph and remember a fight scene like that. I mean, in a heartbeat, or they would just be like, do, 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 you do this, you do this. They just explain it a couple of times and then they were able to do it. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They're very sharp that way. You know, it's like, uh, um, you know, when you see a really good musician who all of a sudden can just jump right in and play along in a song or something like that, they're, they're, they are like that. Yeah. And, you know, one of my experiences too, that, you know, I worked with uh, guys from a lot of guys from Hong Kong on China O'Brien, but the, the thing on King of the Kickboxers was, you know, that scene that I did ended with a triple kick into this guy's chest. And, um, he, Corey asked me, can you jump up and kick this guy three times? And I said, yeah, definitely, you know, and there, when I was working with the, the original guy that they put there was from Thailand, you know, and uh, he we shot in Thailand. So he was a local stuntman and he couldn't stay there, you know, hold me there to take. So, so he kept getting like knocked by the first kick. And so I couldn't land the other two. And they kept saying, we need you to stand there, you know? And then, then this guy, the, the, one of the Hong Kong summons says, I can do it. And so first take, first take, bam, 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 you know? And he, he just stood there for the first two and took them and then did the reaction on that last one. And it was just, uh, it's just that kind of thing, that same guy too, when he fell off that staircase and he landed right on his side and it was, it was, it was hard dirt, you know, there was no pads or anything because they wanted to see him land. And he, he, he did it in one take, thank God, because <laughs> yeah, he had to definitely hurt, you know, so. I, I love that. And so start, uh, the question with both of you, but I'll start with you, Ken. 
One, obviously you've worked with uh, Cynthia Rothrocks, Word to Justice, Billy Blanks and the cult classic uh, Showdown. When you work with martial artists like that who are world-renowned and stuff, obviously it helps you up your personal gain and stuff like that on set and stuff. But could you kind of talk about uh, specifically Billy Blanks working with someone like that um, who world champion he's i mean don't even talk about what he's doing now which is amazing but as you're going through these doing these movies and going up through the scene to have the to work with someone like that what are you getting from someone from like billy blanks in terms of from your personal takeaway and from like your takeaway from the actual movie itself well first of all for me it was a chance to again you know just like i knew keith from afar growing up as sort of this, you know, quasi celebrity through the magazines. He was a he was a martial arts celebrity. I mean, still is. But to me, growing up, there he was doing his thing. Billy Blanks was of that same ilk. The covers of magazines, all that kind of stuff. And at that point, he was the snarling villain and king of the kickboxers, right? And he had, he had yeah. done all these movies, so he had achieved this level of you know sort of celebrity that those late 80s and early 90s kind of offered martial artists through the independent film market. And Billy Blanks was sort of, he was right up there as a royal player. So for me, the first thing that happened was just the awesomeness of getting to be, to hang around this guy, you know? He had achieved so much, he'd done so much. He was kind of like an Arnold Schwarzenegger in his own way. You know, he's an athlete, he became a movie star. And so to get the chance to work with him and just feed off of his energy and see what he was about. That was one thing as a, as a student of life. To, and he was such a nice guy and you really had, you had great positive energy and everything. But then as a martial artist to watch him work, um, having only seen him on TV and things like in PK, you know, uh, halftime shows and all that stuff, to then watch him work um, and do his stuff. It's like, a, I, would, I, would, I would say it's like a dancer working with Barishnikov, right? Any of those martial artists at that level, Cynthia Rothrock or, or Billy Blanks or Keith or anybody, when you get to watch them do their thing and you're a martial artist, you can't just help but be like, wow, look at that. And then you try to pick and choose what you can. You know, like Bruce Lee said, take what's good for you and throw the rest away. I watch every martial artist that I can and look at everything they're doing and I go, oh, look at that. I wonder if I could do that. And so... To see Billy Blanks do that was awesome to try to absorb it. But then to see Billy Blanks fight that last scene with Patrick Kilpatrick, who plays the bad guy, Patrick's a really eccentric kind of actor. And in fight scenes, which he doesn't do a lot of, he's not afraid to make some contact with whatever he's going to do. So he made some contact with Billy. And Billy was like, well, you don't make contact with me. And so Billy then made contact with Patrick in a very aggressive manner during the fight scene. And a couple of those moments are, you know, on camera. He grabs Patrick by the lapels and he does like a jump spinning back kick. And he pops Patrick Kilpatrick in the ribs to be like, that's how it is. Well, Billy was, Billy, they had choreography, but each time they shot the scene, Billy would change the choreography just a little bit. If he, if he wanted to do a hook kick, he'd do a hook kick. If he wanted to do a jump spinning back kick, he'd do a jump spinning back kick. He just kind of flowed with the situation. And he, it was so amazing because even though Patrick didn't know what he was going to do, it all still worked. And that was all because Billy knew how to move so well and make his flow go. So totally impressive 
an educational experience on all those levels. I've uh, I had Patrick on the show here too. Just awesome. Like his stories are great, and he did kind of hint at that. He was there's some certain times in my life going through where I learned real quick that these guys are real athletes, and so I can only imagine. I assume that's one of the stories you would share there. And so for you, Keith, obviously you've worked with MKK boxers, Chad O'Brien too. He had that really obscure kind of cameo, which I still don't know why they make it bigger that movie. But when you work with someone like Keith or Cynthia or Richard Norton. Um, and those type of people, obviously you up your level of game too, but it must be fun walking around sets, be like, oh, I'm a world champion. I'm a, I'm a champion. I'm a champion. I'm an A3. Up. So how do you guys kind of keep the ego in check when you both obviously at that alpha level of martial arts? Um, first of all, I just wanted to say uh, about Billy, you know, that, uh, you know, obviously we go way back and, um, he can really hit, you know, he's one of the guys, you know, like, like no doubt this guy, he, he, for a big guy, he was very agile too. He could jump, you know, he was very fast and the impacts of his, you know, like you were talking about a, a, a jump back kick and I've been kicked by his jump back kick in his studio, just sparring with him, you know, and plus we train together a lot. So I've been, kicked by him a lot and I remember getting blocking it perfectly read the kick and the shock wave from the kick hitting me just went right through my body like getting stabbed with a sword or something like that and you know I always appreciated that about about Billy you know and um you know they're the guys out there that are just trying to get points and they're the guys that can really hit and he can really hit you know um I really enjoyed, you know, that, that scene in China O'Brien actually um, was an after, you know, they were trying to get, they, they came up a little short because we shot China O'Brien one and China O'Brien two at the same time. So we did that fight scene without a director, without a choreographer. We just had a cameraman and a couple of grips, you know, and we, we didn't, we didn't even pay for that location. We just went into an alley and it was someplace in, in, in Los Angeles. I think it was in, it might even have been in Beverly Hills. We went into this alley and just started shooting. And um, so that's why that was such a short cameo for Billy because it was just an afterthought. And I actually just called him up and say, Billy, will you come fight me for this thing, you know? And I also got those other guys. Actually, Chris Casamasa was yeah, a, usually a punk rock, punk picnic guy too, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, just a tremendous guy to work with. And, and, um, I had a flashback sequence in, in, um, uh, King of the Kickboxer with him where, you know, because they, they say that he's never, nobody's ever been to, to able to defeat him. And I was the only person, my character was the only one who ever got close. And that's why Lauren's character comes to learn from me because I was the one who got the closest right. to, to beating him. Well, in that scene, he has to jump. He has this kick where he jumps up. <laughs> his legs come up like this, and they go bam. They hit you on both sides of the head at the same time. And I remember when he did it. I mean, you know, he wants things to look real, you know. And he, he, I had to block like this, you know. And both of my arms just got slammed into my head <laughs> from from both sides. And you know, you act like you're okay because you know, you don't want to be wimpy or anything. But man, that was. And I'm sure that guy felt it, that guy in, in the movie with you. Yeah. Because, yeah, he can go. He was telling me about Michael Bean, because I used to teach Michael Bean for years, you know, the actor from the Terminator. 
and I trained him to get ready for the abyss. And uh, he was a really good, you know, really good actor, but really good student too, and really uh, trained really hard. And um, Billy was telling me that, you know, they had a situation like that. And, and, you know, he said, he said he was going to, you know, let's just take it easy and stuff. And Michael didn't take it easy. He went, went on Billy. And I don't think that went well either. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, question for you, Ken, is it, is there, is, is there a difference or a similarity if you're an actor that's a martial artist or a martial, art, martial artist that is an actor? Do you, is there, is it, can it be the same person or is there a difference between either one of them? Well, I, I mean, that's a really good philosophical question. I appreciate it. Speaking of which, by the way, I want to go back to something you said earlier. And I, ordinarily, I wouldn't do this, but we are speaking amongst martial artists. You said, oh, I'm getting back into it. No, I, I continuously train. I've recently enrolled in a new school to learn a new system and do different gotcha. things. So I've continually practiced. So I've been hanging around doing my thing a little bit. But Love that it. being said, that the reason I bring that up is because that's in reference to your question about being a martial artist, right? And, and Musashi, who says, know the way of all arts and, you know, what you do. And Bruce Lee, who said, I'm a martial artist first. That's what I am. And then who that person is applies themselves to these other things like acting and all that kind of stuff. So I think when you get right down to it, you know, I think if the, the truest actor could be the truest martial artist, if they apply the same principles of developing their creative art to one thing or the other. I think it's very easy for people on the outside to go, oh, he's an actor who learned martial arts. Like, especially if you learn martial arts for one role or two roles, yeah, then you're just sort of equipping yourself to get through a job. But if you practice martial arts as part of your life and it's who you are, and that also informs your acting and allows you to do that thing, then who's to say whether it's actor, martial artist, or martial artist actor, you know? I like the Bruce Lee thing of martial artist turned actor. For me personally, um, although both my martial arts and my acting, I consider always the dilettante level, um, I believe that's what I was or am. I've been a martial artist since I was 12. Keith, I know you probably started before that, but ever since I was 12 years old, it's been the single most defining factor of my life. Uh, it's, it is, it informs me as a spiritual being. It gives me a practice to follow and it's given me opportunities like Ninja Turtles and other things that I never would have had without it. So for me, I kind of consider, I look at it as the, the martial artist and the actor can coexist. Although you may not do those movies all the time, it still may be there for you. Right. Love that. One of the things, Keith, uh, the outset of the pandemic, Keith was one of my first guests on here. He, we started talking about the art of war and Tao and this actual little, the, the English version of the book, the life of Tao, the book of Tao. Uh, and every day I'll go through and just find different poems or different things he said. And I, it kind of hit me hard. It's like, had it not been someone like Keith that even introduced me to someone like Tao, um, the importance of reading and mental health and just kind of getting ready for the day. And so Keith since the last time we've talked, has your, your pre preparation for the daily life and stuff, has that changed at all? And how often are you still go back looking at Tao and the different teachings like that, that can withstand the, the test of time? Well, I have it um, actually uh, sitting on a table that I, where I sit there all the time. It's always there. I'm always reminded of it. Um, the, the Tao Te Ching. 
Yeah. Um, I really took that to heart to the fact that when we have a, a black belt test at the school, everybody has to le learn one of those poems and, and present it at the black belt test. And it's really amazing. Like sometimes we have fairly young people testing for black belt and they're sort of spouting this wisdom. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty astounding. And that's how some of my favorite uh, poems from there uh, have really stuck with me. And um, I, I think I've lived my life by them. But one of the things that I've, I've kept doing through the pandemic was teaching, even though I end up teaching a lot of Zoom classes, which who knows if that's good for your mental health or not. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I felt sorry for the kids who had to Zoom all day for their school and then take another Zoom with me, you know. <laughs> this Zoom is gonna have a lot more action than your other Zoom. Um, and I started, you know, like I would punch at the screen. You're gonna slip this punch, okay? Slip this punch. But um, one of the things that I've noticed is, is I, uh, when I teach my fitness class, I teach a fitness class Zoom every morning still. I did it this morning. And I really enjoy that time after the class where we do a stretch and we breathe. You know, we just breathe and we take some nice deep breaths. And I think uh, that's one of the things that we, we teach the young kids. You know, what do you, what do you do if you're mad and you feel like hitting someone? And the answer is calm down. And what's a good way of calming down? Taking a nice deep breath, you know? And so we also did this, we do this thing called the calm and the break, where you reach up and press your hands down, reach up, inhale and exhale down. It feels kind of like, maybe like a Tai Chi breath. But um, I think uh, a lot of the kids have actually learned to calm down through uh through their practice and one of the things i like just referring to the thing about acting and you know like i've always felt that some of the worst actors that i've seen were martial arts people trying to act you know and i think it may be because you know um maybe they don't feel as comfortable, you know, like sort of like sharing their emotions or something like that. Um, I do think though that, you know, you know, the, the word Kung Fu, I don't know if you knew that it, it doesn't mean martial arts. It means, it means skill. It means that, you know, like acquiring skill through self-discipline. And so you could be Kung Fu at being a chef, you know, and I do think that when you when you when you practice something for a long time like martial arts you do learn to overcome obstacles and do do your research and your practice and stuff like that and that that can be applied it should be able to be applied to other subjects you know um, because you can go about it in the same way use the same system of learning and practicing your whatever you're you're trying to practice and that could be acting you know so anyway. Um. Yeah, I, I think that if we looked at, you know, you said martial artists, it's, it's uncommon to find a martial artist that we applaud critically for their performance in a movie. Yeah. And so the thing is, I, I think you're right, you can apply it, but the thing is, the people that we're watching on screen have been martial artists for 25 years or whatever yeah. it is in their lives. And they've been acting for 16 months, you know, to try and get something going. 
So had, could they apply themselves in the same way over 16 years of acting? You yeah. know, grow that person in a lab somewhere, you'd have the ultimate martial arts uh, to a hero, you know? And we all start that way, right? When you're, when, when did you start training, Keith? How old were you? Uh, I was 12. Okay. And when, when did you get your first inkling that you were going to perform in movies or be on TV or whatever? Um, it was pro probably um, when I was about 20. You know, I mean, that, that, that became like a, a goal that I thought maybe I could, I didn't know how to go about it or anything, but I, I thought it might be something that I, I, I knew it was something I was interested in pursuing, just didn't really know how I was going to do it, you know? Right on. Yeah, I knew from the time I was like 13 years old that I wanted to be in the movies. And I was like, I, I was taking acting classes and I was doing self-defense, the self-defense uh, division in, in tournaments oh, where wow. you choreograph the fights and do the music and the whole thing. Wow. Everything I could to try to create that reality of, all right, I want to be an action hero in the movie. So yeah, I knew right away. And I, I tried to create that experiment of growing in the lab, somebody who was doing acting and doing martial arts. And I got, I got to a certain level, but then I had a certain shelf life for athletes. <laughs> now, Ken, obviously you're an accomplished author. Um, again, if people haven't read this book, please go uh, read that. Uh, Teenage Ninja to Mutant Turtle, Becoming the Real Raphael. And so as an accomplished author, is there other authors or passages or stories or something like Art of War that you look up to every day? Or is this one of these things where you kind of just, what you've taken in, you just let it come, kind of come to you like that? Look, in all honesty, Keith kind of stole my answer. I mean, I, I, I studied Taoism and I studied, like we all do when we get into martial arts, you open yourselves to Eastern thought, different, you know. Um, so I've been look, studying Bushido and, and Buddhism and all these things for years and years ultimately getting ensconced in Taoism. Uh, I have my worn out copy of the Tao Te Ching is right here. Um, here's my little, here's my little loud zuh that sits on my desktop. So I actually try to have a daily, no, I'm not perfect, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> but I try to have a daily Tao practice, you know? I try to, I try to randomly open up the Tao Te Ching and I read one of the passages and I just, try to think about it for a little while. I try to do it before I get on social media or look up who's emailing me or anything. I just try to take a few minutes to put some of this into my brain and my spirit and think about it. Um, so yeah, I'm guided by that right now. I, I read voraciously martial arts texts. I'm reading The Way of the Samurai right now and I'll, I'll reread things over and over, pulling from all those things. And again, not to be cliched, but to pull from the Bruce Lee of, I, I try to learn all I can and then apply kind of what works for me. So yeah, I, I hang right in there and I, I wish I was better at being Taoist and flowing with it. But then again, there's the beauty of the forgiveness that's in Taoist. <laughs> and I love that obviously you guys have talked and you admire and you love the, the, the livings and teachings of Bruce Lee and every guest I've had on here with the martial arts background has said the same thing, but how, again, to kind of go back to the beginning that your love of Bruce Lee and his ways of thinking and, and teaching and training led to you, Raphael, and Ninja Turtles, Scorpion and Mortal Kombat. It's just crazy that one person can have be the, almost like the godfather of all these ideas, whether it's pop culture or teachings or, even how you go into battle. It's just, it, for me, it just blows my mind that 
you don't have to be a martial artist. You could be, you could be an athlete. You could be a chef. You could be a, a parent, a doctor. You all can relate to Bruce Lee. And I find that very, very amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, like the thing is, I felt like if I could be more like Bruce Lee when I was a kid, that people wouldn't mess with me, you know? And I, I think that was a little unrealistic, you know? Um, but I think that he had a charisma, you know, that was, uh, that was just super compelling, you know? And I became a really good student of the martial arts. I mean, I was dedicated. I still am. I mean, I never lost that dedication. And I think it was inspired by Bruce Lee, you know? And uh, what a brilliant guy. I mean, he died at 32 years old and look at the things he was thinking about, you know, that's a young man, you know? Yeah. And by the way, you're a young man, <laughs> John. I still, I still feel it too, kind of. <laughs> But I, I think the things that he was interested in and the way his mind worked, his mind was very open, you know, and going back to the subject of acting, I think Bruce Lee was very believable in those roles, you know, uh, it wasn't like he was acting, you know, it was, he was those characters, you know, and I, I so I think sometimes that's uh, the way that, that people uh, people do it, you know, I mean, who knows where, where he would have ended up. He was a young guy. Look at Jackie Chan, you know, like now I, I love Jackie Chan in the new karate kid, you know, where he was, where he was, he was playing a straight guy, you know, he wasn't doing anything funny or anything. He had a tragic character, you know, right. and he's, he's a, he's a really good actor. And then I forget the name of the other movie where he, he, his daughter gets killed in a, uh, you know, oh, and, uh, uh, Pierce Bronson's the bad guy in the two, I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah, really yeah. good movie. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's just, you know, like, I just think he's, he's lived so much of life now and he's been in so many movies. There's very little, you know, of anything getting between him and that, that performance being that character, you know, there's very little baggage, you know, and I love, I love seeing that, you know. Love it. I think uh, Bruce Lee, for me, like so many, he just, he transcends his singular humanity. You know, he's like, he's a, he's like Jimi Hendrix in a martial arts thing. Like he came out, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix had a band, but Bruce Lee had movies. That was his act. And like, like Keith said, he wasn't really acting. He was, he was bringing, he was bringing Bruce Lee to the screen. He brought his own ideas. He brought his ideas about, developing, you know, uh, understanding Chinese culture. He brought his own martial arts ideas to what he was doing. So he spoke his own voice, which was the true martial artist that he was. He was the brilliant Jimi Hendrix of martial arts. And for me, having just that poster on the wall from Enter the Dragon, where he's got the four like red streaks across his chest and he's kind of <laughs> looking like this. At, at one time, that poster, it's it's got such a weird feeling because that movie's like so essentially 70s that it's got this kind of like spooky but heroic kind of feeling. It's like repulsive yet attractive at the same time for so many reasons. You know, this, this beautiful athlete of a man is standing there and he's facing death with the blood. And so as a kid, it's just like, man, that's mythology 
come to life right there. This little guy is obviously battling some dragon. It's all happening. And he is the dragon. So it's all like so perfectly circular. And so he transcended just being like Bruce Lee. What he had to say, the way he said it, the fact that it was a real statement. He was a martial artist who was acting. He wasn't an actor who would learn martial arts, obviously. But he was, but but it was more than just that. It was him using it as the vehicle to speak his truth. And his truth resonated so sublimely that the, that the ring of that bell continues on out, you know? And so for me as a kid, you, you just see that mythological thing and it just drives you. I didn't know why. I didn't know that I wanted to be him or anything. I just knew that there was something, it was like having Perseus or somebody on your wall, you know? I always, I forget what interview I was watching, but someone was like, the interview asked the, the guy, uh, who's the next Bruce Lee? And the, the guy's response was, why does there have to be another Bruce Lee where we could still chase the greatness of Bruce and what he was and what he embodied? I thought it was really cool. It's like, sure, there could be another Bruce Lee coming. And I hope there's 20 more coming. Um, but it's still okay to follow the life of a guy that died way too young that it, it, it was just a really cool response. And to see that, again, respect to someone like Bruce Lee, uh, it, again, it's just, it's just really humbling. Yeah, and I don't, you'll never see another Bruce Lee because he broke, he crossed boundaries. He transcended boundaries that don't exist anymore. There's still more boundaries, of course. Right. But he, trans, he brought, you know, the way Elvis brought music to a certain audience on a grand scale. Bruce Lee brought martial arts on a grand scale, on a global scale you know, more than anybody else ever before that I can think of. And nobody will ever do that again because he did it. Now we're just walking the path, you know, maybe pushing it a little bit more. Right. Now, uh, before I let you gentlemen go, I, I do have a question for you both. Uh, Ken, if you could be any Mortal Kombat character, uh, who would you be and why? Well, I think that I would be, Keith, you played Sub-Zero? Yeah. Yeah, you were so, and you were and reptile the first one, and reptile, but you were yeah. sub zero, right? Yeah, I think that I would be sub zero because, like Keanu Reeves getting kung fu in the Matrix, if I could do what Keith Cook does, I would feel fabulous waking up in the morning. So I'm gonna say sub zero. <laughs> Love it. And how about you, Keith? If you could be anyone in the Ninja Turtle uh, realm, who would you be and why? Well, I'm, you know, like I'm having trouble remembering the names, but if I could have played a character in that, in that I want to be the guy that was, uh, was there with Ernie Reyes Jr. The, the, who was that? Coteus. Coteus played the role, but um, I don't remember the, the character's name. Oh, Casey Jones. Yeah. The, the hockey mask. Yeah. That was a really cool, uh, that was a really cool role and uh he played it really well too <laughs> yeah he's a really good actor yes Ken actually shared a good story about that how the, the one the one guy stunt guy was actually injured uh which kind of led to uh ken's story but like it was really cool like that it is a great character yeah 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 and, and like he said elias is a great actor he was in a movie called some kind of wonderful uh, with eric stoltz and unfortunately, I can't remember the girl's name right now. And he played like this, the shaved head punk rocker at the high school. And I saw this movie, I mean, years before Ninja Turtles, or at least a little bit before. And I just remember going, man, that guy, that character was just awesome. He just leapt off the screen. The best thing in the movie 
And then one day I'm working on a set of Ninja Turtles and I feel somebody squeezing my foot and I look down and this guy who I've never met looks up at me and he goes, hey, I like your shoes, man. And it's that guy <laughs> from the thing. And he was, yeah, he's just trying to figure out what his character would wear. But I just met him and I was like, oh my God, you're that guy. So it was really interesting. Steve Barron, the director, made really interesting choices. He made, you know, sort of anti-Hollywood choices. Yeah. He didn't get like, you know, a, a runway model to play April O'Neil. He found a beautiful girl in Judith, in Judith Hogue. He got Elias Coteus, this quirky kind of Daniel Day-Lewis-like actor to play Casey Jones. So I think that's some of the stuff that made that film so unique too. Yeah. Now, uh, obviously you're both on social media. I know Keith, uh, you joked about uh, ramping up your social media, but if people want to reach out to you guys, uh, where could they do that starting with you, Keith? Uh, Keith Cook Studio uh, at Instagram. Um, the cook has an E on the end. Uh, like I said, I'm not on that often. I'm getting ready to post some more stuff. And you have been posting some really cool, like like we talked about earlier, your your tournament stuff, some of your wushu stuff, and the behind the scenes stuff, and the the uh, the reel you put together for Alita, the choreography for that uh, the the actress there, like stuff like that. I think people really get a love, and hopefully you can kind of throw it out there because I think people really do appreciate uh, the work you put into your life so far. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to post another fight that I think, I don't think anybody's seen it because it was, it was, we shot it for a pilot um, that never got picked up. So I'm going to put that up soon. Right on. And Ken, obviously I've uh, listed on your website the other day. I had to order a couple of books for uh, some cousins, but uh, you're on social media as well, but where can people reach out to you if they want to uh, get in touch or just support you and your book? Well, you, you can certainly, if you want to check out the book or anything else or get in touch with me, you can go to turtleconfessions.com. Um, outside of that, you can find me on Instagram. I don't spend a lot of time doing it, but when I go to cons, and I'm getting ready to go to uh, Belgium uh, this coming weekend. When I go to cons, yeah, that's, that's going to be great. It's, I'm sure the inside of the Belgium Convention Center, the Brussels Convention Center, is going to be fantastic. <laughs> But when I go to the cons, uh, I usually do an Instagram sort of burst where I take pictures of like interesting characters that I see and costumes and cool celebrities that I'm meeting and stuff like that. And then when the weekend's over, I disappear for a while. So, but that's Kenjitsu and it's K-E-N-N-J-I-T-S-U, Kenjitsu. That's on Instagram. So people can check that out. And hopefully you can start bringing uh, Keith out to some of these things so he can walk around to a Santa Claus with a scorpion mask holding a uh, shopping cart full of diapers. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, this, is, this has been great, gentlemen. Thank you for this. Um, stay safe. I wish you all the success, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Hey, guys. It's um, John, it's always an honor to be with you, Keith. It's an honor to talk with you and be here with you today, guys. It's really nice meeting you. Awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week.
the Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Kids, I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.